I want to see those dimples, Dave. All day long. They're staying out. Nothing but smiles when we're talking about money, Joe, right? We're defrosting our money fears on this podcast, which makes sense. We're unpacking this money baggage. Are you ready? Let's do it. Welcome to Money Baggage, a financial literacy podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to spread knowledge about something that affects all of us. Money. We're your hosts, Joe Franco. And I'm Zave. And we're on an investigation to learn how to strategically deal with all of our money baggage. We're going to be covering things like from debt to savings to home ownership to budgeting, all kinds of things under the sun. We're just trying to grow that money mindset. We're here to find uh, our financial independence. Knowledge is well, so let's handle this money baggage. Let's get into it. What are we getting into today, Zave? Give us give us a topic. What's the lay of the land? Joe, we are talking about all things savings today. Savings. It's a touchy subject, don't you think? Yes, because like many money topics, people equate their sense of worth with how much money they have in their savings accounts. Absolutely. I, you know, the more you have, I mean, you're just like bred to think the more you have in your savings, the more confidence you can walk around with. It's a, it's a, t- it's a touchy one. And honestly, surprising how kind of sad it can be. Yeah, I don't think the States is known for its highest amount of money in people's savings accounts. And that's, again, it's not necessarily the individual's fault. It's a lot of different factors from consumerist culture to what cards you were dealt when you were born to investments that are absurd, like college degrees that I support, but also that definitely put a huge, huge barrier as far as how much money you're saving. It's a wild subject, which is why we're doing this whole episode on it. I want to know, how do you personally save? Do you have savings? We're going to open up your money laundry for a second. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Right now, as a 25-year-old living in Chicago, working a full-time job, I found it kind of harder to start saving. I think I've had my lifestyle change a little bit from a broke college kid. You know what I mean? So surprisingly enough, I found it harder to save the older I've been getting and the more money I've been getting, probably not the best mindset to have. I like to work hard. I like to play hard, Joe. You know what I mean? Okay, so we're not really in the saving game. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I mean, we're in the saving game. It's it's on the right path, I'd say. But as of the past couple of years, I like to treat myself. Sue me. <laughs> What's your vice other than suede moccasins? <laughs> oh, sure. It's I love to eat out, Joe. I think the biggest reason I moved to Chicago was to try all the food. You know what I mean? So I think that's, it's food. It's food. What about you? I have a weird relationship with saving because as an entrepreneur, I'm 30 now. A lot of an entrepreneur's life is what I call a spiky lifestyle. My friend actually coined the term. When we graduated college, most people got corporate jobs or jobs that paid a salary. I have never gotten a salary from... 2015 onward. So I think I was what, 21 or something like that. 22, I stopped getting a regular paycheck. So what that means is that one month I would get no money, nothing, crickets in my savings accounts and checking zero dollars. Right. And then maybe on the second month, another dry season. And then the third month, all of a sudden it's like a truckload of money comes in from six months prior when I did that job. So then my rhythm of saving is not a normal rhythm of saving because I basically, I always operate on lower overhead than what I make. I I basically need to save. As an entrepreneur, you need to save a lot because you know that there are months where things could be worse than others. So the relationship that I have with savings is almost like it is how I do money because I can't 
splurge, especially now with employees that I pay, you know, I have contractors that I pay every month. So I'm always thinking, all right, if money doesn't come in, they're getting their paychecks. So I just need to be on a conservative savings rhythm. But yeah, it's weird because like I said, one month I'll get so much money and then for three months, maybe not that much money or just coasting. So totally. Do you think that's been like, was it hard to like kind of adjust that mindset? Because I see myself as a 21 year old coming in month to month, but then it hits big three months in, you know, I would be tempted. You would be spending big too? (laughs) Potentially, (laughs) you know. Well, remember I said I have cheap girl brain. I was bred for this lifestyle. I was always like, is there a coupon? Is there a discount? Catch me at the sales rack. Clearance is my best friend. I dress nice, but I go to the expensive stores and go straight to the back of the clearance section. I only shop at the sales section. It's just how I am. And it works out because running a business, you need to have a lot of savings for this kind of event. So actually, I was speaking to a friend who's a financial advisor, and she was just telling me, when you're an entrepreneur, you need to have double the savings. So you need to have savings for your personal life and for your business life. Sure, sure. So for all the entrepreneurs listening, just make sure you have your business covered and your personal because there are months where maybe I do want to splurge. But okay, so when I splurge, it's on things like, like I'm about to take five months of flights, right? Like I just told you my travel plans. I'm like, uh-huh. and then I'm going to go to Croatia and then I'm going to go to Italy and then Spain. So I'll spend a lot of money traveling. And then I look at my bank accounts and I'm like, oh God, I hope I have money coming in. Oh, I, I feel you. So I, I have a question for you. We've talked about it in a, in a previous episode, how you ended up having to buy your house straight up. Straight up. So that was going from, you know, obviously saving up so much savings over time to pretty much clearing it out. No. How did that feel? How did you cope? (laughs) You know what I mean? It was crazy. I remember I had to clean out my savings and that's what savings are there for. I mean, I guess they're not there for you to buy the value of a house in cash, but in that moment, it was the only option I had. And that's the luxury of savings, right? It gave me the choice because if I didn't have the savings, my stuff would have been on a truck from Connecticut or from California to Connecticut. And I would have been stranded with my entire belongings stranded on the side of some Connecticut street. And I didn't need to do that because I had the choice. But honestly, Zave, like I remember thinking, gotta get to work. Like there was no questions asked because go hard. And luckily I was filming the Netflix show. When I bought the house, three days later, I was back on the road. It's not that I lied, but the last time I did get a steady paycheck was on the Netflix show, which was so nice because I'm like, this is how regular people live. (laughs) You just show up and you get paid on Friday. This is amazing. It was like mind boggling because I had lived so many years without that guarantee. But three days after I bought the house, I was back on the show for six months. And luckily, I was getting paid weekly and I wasn't spending any money as well. So that was a huge that like made me stabilize again. And from that point on until now, I've been re-growing my savings actively. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, one thing I've been doing in the past few months or so is just tracking everything I spend any money on. And it exposes me. It shows my toxic traits of eating out and shopping here and there, you know, but it's been helpful to start that budget and start tracking. Do you feel a little bit of saving shame because you know you're a work hard, play hard guy? I think so. I think I had a number in my head, you know, out of college, emergency fund, call it. And 
I think once I finally reached that goal, I was like, you know what? I deserve to let my hair down a little bit. I, I've worked hard. I've been saving, but I, I'm transitioning into the point where I need to set that next goal and start doing better things than just eating out five days a week. Well, it's like also what I learned with my cheap girl brain is that there's there's so many ways to remix your vices and make them cheaper. So I 100%. love experiences. Catch me on a flight, catch me on a trip. But if I can't take a trip because it's like, you know, I'm in saving mode, I'll pick a day of the week and make it my global day and I'll make a quiche from scratch with a French mm -hmm. recipe and that's my thing. Or I'll take a day and be a traveler in my own town. I do this often. I live in this tiny town in Connecticut. And one day as I was kind of rebuilding my savings and I wasn't traveling, I'm like, you know what? I don't feel like myself because these splurges that we have, they, they're connected to our sense of self because they're a mm -hmm. sense of expression there's something about going out to restaurants that you love because it makes you feel, I don't know, alive, engaged, young. Absolutely. Same, yeah. Right? So then you're 100%. like, this is worth money. Whereas for me, it's travel, it's meeting new people, it's it's creating a memory. So if we don't give ourselves those splurges, our, our like joie de vivre, our joy kind of crumbles a little bit. So I think the creative solution is how can you remix that experience in a way that is free or cheaper so that you're not losing this piece of your joy just I because you're saving. Agree. Making certain sacrifices here and there to still do the things that you want to splurge on. Because at the end of the day, Joe, I'm going to splurge. I'm going to eat out. It is what it is. <laughs> so there are two techniques, it sounds like, right off the bat. You're like, I'm not going to give up my restaurants. And I'm like, I don't need to take a trip. Go give me a thrift store down the street. Like, sure. <laughs> so there are two different ways. So then what are you going to sacrifice to save if you're never going to give up your restaurants? Definitely. I think instead it's going to turn into a quality over quantity thing. I think moving to Chicago first, it was eat out, eat out, eat out. And now I'm I'm cooking more. I'm getting more into cooking I grocery shop a lot more and I go to eat out when it really matters. I think there's yeah, a lot of restaurants uh -huh. that I've tried that were expensive and weren't even that good. I was just new in town and wanted to. Got it. So now you're like researching before you go to make sure there's ROI on that dinner bill. <laughs> exactly. First fact of the day for you. Give it. 56% of Americans are unable to cover an unexpected $1,000 bill with savings. So more than half of us. Do not have $1,000. Joe, when I read that, it kind of blew my mind. I'm not going to lie. Do you think it's because it's truly not in their accounts or it's because they don't want to clean out their savings if they get the bill? I'd say probably a little bit of both. I mean, you work hard to save up that $1,000 and unexpectedly have to give it all away in the snap of a finger. That that would suck, you know? Well, this also connects to the credit card episode that we did because it was talking about how not only our credit card debt bills higher, but the delinquencies are also higher, which means that people are just not paying. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense because people don't have savings. So then there's, I feel like this is a mystery we need to embark on. And I think the answer is going to be inflation. I think we're going to end up with the inflation and the cost of living is so freaking high. Times are changing. Rent's going up like crazy. My rent was raised. How much do you pay for rent, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. So it's me and my girlfriend. So I pay $1,200. She pays $1,200. <gasps> $2,400. It's, 
It's pricey, Joe, but that's another one of those things where I love my apartment. I have a gym here, so I don't have to pay for my gym. It's got great lake access. He's selling <laughs> I, me I as it. if I'm I, the one. I'm like, boy, I ain't paying your rent. <laughs> if I could flip my camera right now, I would and show you this beautiful skyline of Chicago. It's definitely on the pricier side. Most expensive rent I've ever had, but I think it's worth every penny. Well, also, you're doing it with your girlfriend, so it's 50%. Imagine if you were a single dude and you were paying $2,400. Like, there's no, you would be living paycheck to paycheck. Anybody with a decent salary would be living paycheck to paycheck because they're, you know, there are all the added costs of insurance and groceries and whatever. Living in a city is always more expensive. That's what I was going to say. It's, I moved from Salt Lake City to Chicago and the cost of living has so surprising, like just groceries, carton of eggs is like double the price that it was <laughs> there. And I think of all the people that grew up in Chicago that it's tough to move. It's expensive to move to a place where it's cheaper to live. So they're kind of just stuck here, not being able to save up. And it's, it's a bummer. Right. That was like New York. I remember when I was living in New York, I actually left New York City. I went to university in lower Manhattan. I was living in the dorms. So I lived in Manhattan and I didn't have to worry about rent until all of that came back in a massive heaping pile of student loan debt, which I ended up paying five years later after I graduated, which was a big triumph because I know friends in their 50s still paying for college. But anyways, I remember living in New York, not paying rent. And I was just I hit the ground running working because I'm like, I need to seize the opportunity that I don't have this rent coming out of my accounts every month. Mm -hmm. So that I can scrape as much money out of the city as possible for when the time comes and I have to pay rent. And I ended up choosing to move to Los Angeles when I was one year out of university. I had graduated. I was an entrepreneur and I truly looked at the math and I'm like, no amount of money that I make in New York is going to allow me to run a business because the cost of living here is so high. So I moved across the country to Los Angeles, where even though it's a city, it's cheaper. And only with that move was I able to rent an apartment. My business partner and I rented a two bedroom for $1,500. It was so filled with roaches and roaches <laughs> bite. By the uh -huh. way, I didn't know roaches bite. They do. Oh, they do on That's the West side. <laughs> and they were biting me. So like, as I'm creating this business that would eventually become this abundant career. I was getting bit by roaches. So that's a little behind the scenes. And that's what it took. It took moving across the country to a cheaper city that still had opportunity. I could not be an entrepreneur in New York. There was no way. Did you fly when you moved or did you drive or? I flew one-way ticket, carry-on suitcase, nice. and I went nice. straight to VidCon, which is this big conference for mm -hmm. YouTubers. And you know, it's one of those experiences where you take a leap and then all of these guardian angels come out of nowhere and let you crash on their couches and, oh, and sure. whatnot. That's what happened. But I didn't have savings for many years because I was living so scrappily. So question for you, have you had that moment where you have had an unexpected thousand dollar or so bill growing up? And maybe you could or couldn't say, uh, spend it. Yes. I'm so glad you asked. Bringing back past traumas, though, because it was a horrible <laughs> We're time. We're unpacking the money baggage today, I'm unpacking <laughs> the money baggage. So actually, this was really scary. It was in, I believe it was 2015, 2016. I was just beginning to make a little bit of money, but I really didn't have much. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you let's say somebody pays me $20,000 for something. 5000 of that is not mine for taxes. Sure. 5000 or more is not mine for taxes. So you lo it looks like you have so much money if you're making good money. But then 
when you need to pay your quarterly taxes or your tax returns, all of a sudden it's all cleared out. Mm -hmm. So there was a year that I was doing my taxes and we hired an accountant who messed up the accounting because they joined our income and then they taxed each of us because I had a business partner. We were 50-50. They taxed each of us what both of us should have paid together. Mm -hmm. They told us by tomorrow, you each have to pay $46,000. And I was like, Oh, like that will truly make me completely broke and have negative dollars. Mm -hmm. And I had no choice. I think I ended up paying 30,000 in one day. And that was like all I had to my name. And I had been saving for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And the feeling like the floor was ripped out from underneath me because I was still paying back my loans. I was still paying for rent. I was still like, I didn't have guaranteed income. And all of a sudden everything gets cleared out by a mistake. And I didn't get the money back, the difference for, for months. So I was operating as if I was truly broke again. And the lucky thing for me was I had experience. So it wasn't the worst thing, mm -hmm. but it was almost like, it's like you take two steps forward and three back. That's what happened that day. I bet you were stoked when it came back around though, right? My relationship with money changed at that moment because it was very clear to me. You can have a lot one day and the next day you have none of it. Oh, 100%. I get you. Oh, rough times, Joe. Jeez. Rough times, but I you still carry that. You just learned from your mistakes though, right? I get you. Yesterday. Yeah, the same thing happened yesterday. I got a tax bill. I'm like, yep, just like that. I'm broke again. <laughs> like, <literally laughs> what is this? Oh, no. You're scaring me. You're scaring me. I'm like, maybe I should start saving a bit more. I, uh, I think the biggest thing that's happened to me was moving out here to Chicago. I feel like I budgeted it. I, I did fairly well. You know, I think this was like kind of my first big grown up financial move that I'm making and just learning what went into it, like packing and first deposit on rent and, you know, getting the U-Haul to move here because I was not smart enough to fly like you were one way ticket. I drove 30 hours, uh, which was not good. But I think, yeah, just learning there and, and you know, gas and stuff like that was way more expensive and moving and time was tricky, but we made it. Any major life choice is going to be very expensive and it's always more expensive than people think. So my friends now who are buying apartments and houses, I was one of the first to buy a house and you don't realize that it's never just the ticket price. Same thing when you buy a car, like in that month, everything goes wrong with the car. <laughs> and then suddenly <sighs> it's like $5,000 more than what you anticipated. <laughs> I got That's three flat tires in one month, one time. And I, it was really soon after I got my first car. And I was like, what am I doing? Dude, that happens every single time. Same thing. I drove over nails like twice in a week. I'm like, who deserves this? And why did I even buy this right. car? Like all of a sudden, there's just a million nails on the road. I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> no, so this is what people I want to like stress because I didn't know this. When you buy a house or an apartment, so many bills come out of literally nowhere. Suddenly you, you need, there are leaks. You need to get inspections. The fireplace mm -hmm. is broken. So not only was I cleaning out my savings when I bought my house, but then there were thousands of dollars coming out on a regular basis. And I did this with no guaranteed income. So it was truly just wiping out my savings. Sure. At the time, I did have guaranteed income from the Netflix show, but it was not enough to justify like bleeding thousands <laughs> of dollars of cash every month. And then I had my mom who was making me fund all of her DIY projects around the house. I'm like, girl, this ain't Martha Stewart's studio. She was literally <laughs> like, 
And then we could redo the stairs. And then we could knock that wall down. Oh, yes. Sure. Life happens and we need savings is the point. Let's do a question. Do you want to do a question? Let's do a question. I think one of the biggest things people uh, were wondering about was uh, compounding, right? Compounding, 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 and more than just uh, putting your money away. So I have a definition for you, and then we can chat about it. Compounding is the process in which an asset's earnings from either capital gains or interest are reinvested to generate additional earnings over time. This growth calculated using exponential functions occurs because the investment will generate earnings from both its initial principal and the accumulated earnings from preceding periods. Which we know and love, but we need a translation. I'm going to translate that. Break it down for me, Joe. So compounding is your friend and your foe. It's your friend when it comes to savings. It's your foe, your enemy when it comes to debt. Mm -hmm. But it's a funny way of money working. This is absurd. Warren Buffett is like a world-renowned investor. Right now, according to 2023, is $108.6 billion to his name. He's the fifth richest person in the world. Now, Warren Buffett is known to be a very modest man. He does the same thing every day. He's not a splurger. Mm-hmm. But he, he made his billions after age like 60, I think it was. So it was just a matter of time. When he was 21 years old, he had $20,000 and he was investing it. So from 21 years old to 26, he made $6,000. So then he had 26000 From 26 years old to 30 years old, he had $1 million. From 30 years old to 33, he had $2.4 million. From 33 to 35, he had $7 million. You see the trend. From 35 to 37, two years later, he had $10 million. From 37 to 39, he had $25 million. So from that gap, two years. 15 million from 39 to 43, four years later, he had 10 more million, 34 million. So you see this graph, but the biggest jump was when he was 66 years old, he had $17 billion. And then by the time he was 80, from 62 to 72, he had 36 billion. And then 72 to 83, 58 billion. And then 83 to 92, a decade later, 109 billion. These look like fake numbers, but it's a testament to compounding interest. He started investing at such a young age that the money was growing on its own interest. Mm -hmm. So compounding is this like special magical thing when it comes to savings and investing because it it's what they say like oh make your money work for you. What that really means is your money is compounding and the longer you have it invested the more money it'll make, which is insane. It's the best. It's, you know, better put it somewhere than than to just uh, let it be sitting around there, right? And that's what brings us into, you know, high yield savings accounts. Before we move on to high yield savings accounts, I want to talk about the thing that I've heard a lot and I've read in all of these finance books is that the sooner you start investing, the better, because the sooner you put your money in the in investments and savings accounts, the longer they grow through compounded interest. So all of my friends, they're like, oh, is investing for me? I'm like, listen, I can't tell you what to do. I'm not giving you financial advice, but the numbers are very clear. The younger you save, the longer your money is in the account, the more chance compounding has to grow your money. The earlier, the better. The earlier, the better, yeah. Like the earlier we educate ourselves on this stuff, the better. So uh, what age do you think you started um, finally getting in? Was it young or are you at a point now where you were like, I wish I would have when I was younger? 
I think anybody who learns about this wishes that they would have when they were younger. That's a natural feeling because when you start seeing it, you're just like, dang, imagine five years prior. Mm -hmm. But I did, I think I started really digging into financial literacy when I was around 23. Mm -hmm. And so I started putting my money in the market around then and learning how it moved. And then the minute you start seeing how it moves, you're like, dang, I wish I did this sooner. It's, I sure. swear it happens to everyone. It can um, be so scary. But then once you finally take that leap of faith, it's like, okay. Well, I it's the leap of faith with that. education. Let's not forget mm-hmm. education is everything. I understand why people are hesitant because they don't want to feel like they're gambling. And a lot of education out there is not actually educational. There's like so much more fluff and hype investing advice than true knowledgeable books that people read. There are so many books, but people just, you know, are scrolling on social media. So back to why we're doing this podcast in the first place, know your sources, get information and and like you need to do the work. No one's going to go out of their way and tell you, hey, I have your best financial interest <laughs> at heart. And I really think that you should, unless you're paying them as an advisor, which people are licensed professionals at Hightower, and then c- they can do that. They can offer you that advice. I think Once I started saving and investing and seeing the money move, I was interested in learning more about the rate of return, which is why high yield savings accounts are really interesting. So hit me with that question. So we have another question here. Are high yield savings accounts safe? Using a bank online seems like a scam to me. Hmm. Fair question, I think. Have you looked into them like personally? Yeah, a little bit. I know about high yield savings accounts. I think I'm here to learn a little bit too, though. Honestly, Joe, I do. What are your thoughts here? So I've used a high yield savings account. And when I cleaned out my savings to buy my house, a big chunk of it came from my high yield savings account that I had been using for a few years to put a bunch of my money away strategically. So I didn't see that money And that's how I knew it was true savings. That's like my own psychology hack. You know how I hide my credit cards for myself? I hide my savings for myself too. The thing is you can't hide it too good because you need to know where to find it. So I put my savings in a high yield savings account. But what is it? Let's get the definition. So a high yield savings account, unlike traditional savings account, high yield savings accounts reward you with a higher interest rate and your money grows even faster thanks to compound interest, which lets you earn interest on interest. The higher your annual percentage yield, APY, the faster your money grows and you get a better return than you would with a traditional savings account. So your interest is earning more interest. Yeah, but the trick is it's not in a physical bank. So these are high yield online, high yield savings accounts. And it does feel like a bit of a scam. I've used one for years and it's not a scam. And they're FDIC insured which is how you know that something is legit in the financial world. I use a high yield savings account and I love it because the interest rate is much higher. APY is something really interesting and critical. I feel like we don't get taught this in school or even at banks that APY is the number of how much percentage your money is going to be compounding. Sure. The national savings average is 0.35% APY. And a high yield savings account, you can earn around anywhere from like 1% to 3% or even more. It goes with how the government's economy is moving. Because I remember when COVID hit, my APY in my high yield savings account started to dip. Like every mm. week I would get a notification. It was like, your APY just dropped 0.55%. And I'm like, no. And then the next <laughs> week, another 0.55%. I'm like, no. But even when it hit its lowest low, I think I was still earning 0.55% APY 
versus mm-hmm. my own savings account in my bank that was like 0.25%. So let me ask you this. What risks are around here? Or is it something that you think like everyone should be doing this rather than just having a normal savings account? Or are, are there any red flags? I mean, again, this isn't a financial advice podcast, so I can't be like, everyone go to the bank <laughs> yeah. right now. For but sure. what I saw from my own personal experience was, first of all, I looked it up. I knew this bank, this high yield savings account. It wasn't just like a random website. I checked to see if they were insured. I did some research on reviews. It looked legit. And again, I had heard of this bank. This wasn't some sketchy bank. It was a real bank. It just happened to be an online bank. And then I started putting a little bit of money in to see. I always do that. I test the waters because I, you know, I got to dip my toe in. (laughs) And then there really wasn't much of a risk for me because it, it operates just like a savings account. You can also get a CD, a certificate of deposit. You pick a maturity date. It has a fixed APY, which protects you from those moments where the economy dips. Sure. So my CD had, I think, a 2% APY, which is pretty high considering it did not fluctuate. But my high yield savings account, when the economy was down, the APY dipped. Mm. But the CD, the trick is you can take the money out, but you get a penalty. Right. So I picked a five-year CD, and that means the money's going to sit in that account for five years collecting that interest. Which I think can prove to be a good thing because, like you said, you got to put it away and not look at it, right? Because sometimes yeah. you want to take it. And- exactly. But the risk there is if you put too much money in a CD and then you have an emergency come up and then you're like, oh, no, I locked all my money up in the CD and it's only mature in five years. So you have to know your own risk tolerance and understand the biggest piece here is understanding what it all means, understanding APY. And the difference too that I want to stress here, APR is a bad thing. The higher APR is, which is the rate of interest on credit cards, the higher that percentage, the higher that number, the worse it is because that means you're paying 26% on top of whatever you borrowed in your credit cards if you don't pay your bill in full. Whereas APY, the higher it is, the better it is because that's the percentage your money is actually growing. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. I did my research today. (laughs) A little. I I got you. I am learning though. I'm I'm appreciating this. And I think that the whole CD situation and in the five years, that kind of brings me back to that first fact where, I mean, I'm sure some of that, you know, 56% of people just have their money tied away too much of it at that time when the emergency hits. I think, you know, a balance is good. Totally. I think we all need to have liquid cash and money saved and money invested. We have to do many things at once. This is why it's very stressful to manage your finances. Because if you have debt, you have to worry about paying back your debt. Then you have to worry about saving. Then you have to worry about investing. Mm -hmm. You have debt, saving, and investing, and they're all three moving at the same time. So you need to know like, what is your risk tolerance? What is your strategy? And you could change your strategy. There are some days where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to throw more money in my investments because I have a big check coming in Mm -hmm. and I want that money to move for me. Then there are other things you could do too, like investing in your education. For me right now, my biggest investments this year were in a speaker's training because I know I'm getting invited to do keynotes. There's no guarantee I'll get invited to give keynotes. I'm going to do my best, but it's an investment. You know, it's an investment that I'm putting in X amount of thousands of dollars with the vision that that money will return when I get booked to give keynotes. Sure. So I have a question, Joe. Yes. Saving, saving, savings. Um, Did you, do you implement any kind of, you know, strict strategies for your budgeting, for your savings, putting things away, or are you just going, rolling with the punches? 
What do you think, knowing me for a few episodes? What do you think? I think you're putting a lot away. I think you're being smart, smarter than me for sure. I think you you probably should stick to something strict. That's my guess. I actually am more of like an elastic saver. So I have a bunch of money saved just because I I think buying that house changed everything for me. Because I was like, dang, I got to have this money ready. I am saving, but that's not my target. My target is spending money only on investments. Okay. As in investing in my knowledge, investing in my team, investing in my growth. Because when I invest in that, I make more money and then save more. So saving to me is like, the product of my main strategy, which is self-investment. Absolutely. You know, you're not just putting away a bunch of cash, but you're putting it into things that will have that good ROI down the future is what you're betting on. Yeah. And at the same time, I move tons of money into my high yield savings account or my business savings account so that I know that it's locked up. And then as entrepreneurs, we always have to have a huge amount of money for when tax season comes because much of that money in your account is actually not yours. So that's actually an opportunity because you could throw it in a high yield savings account and then make a little bit of money on the APY as you're waiting for the tax bill to come. So yeah, there's strategies that you could play with, but entrepreneurs live a different, we live a different financial rhythm. Sure. Have you always been like that? Or did you, when you were first starting, did you have something, something more strict or no? I was just like on a broke girl financial plan. Everything I did was free. I chose the cheapest meal. If it was more than $5, I thought it was absurd. I'm still like that. I'm still like $12 for an omelet. Like I don't want to spend money (laughs) on absurd things, but I do because I can't afford it. But the Mm. principle hasn't left my system. How about you? I think when I was first starting to make any kind of money, I did the whole popular thing, I guess, is the 50, 30, 20 rule, you know? Where you Hit put. me with the 50, 30, 20. <laughs> so it, you know what? I think it helped me get on my feet and start figuring out how to budget and stuff like that. So it's 50% on what you need. This is your groceries, your food, um, soap, toothbrush, stuff like that. 30% on wants, which I loved. You know, this is your clothes, your eating out, your travel, stuff like that. And then 20% on savings and debt. That's an interesting model. Did it work? I think it helped. I think it helped to a certain extent, but things, the older you get, the more difficult things get, I think. And uh, I kind of deferred away from it, but I think it did help me get on my feet when I was first, you know, entering the workforce and stuff like that. I like that. I think any kind of framework that can help you is helpful. Wow. That was some wisdom. Okay. Anyways, let's get to the next question. (laughs) All righty. How do you know what is enough for you when budgeting? hot topic. Because again, I'm not exactly a budgeter when it comes Mm -hmm. to my life. I budget for everything in my business though. I feel like the biggest thing is just being honest with yourself of what you want and what you actually need. And I know I'm guilty of convincing myself that I need certain things that I absolutely do not need. (laughs) Like what? Um, Like what? I mean... I like nice things, Joe. You know, I like nice things. If I see something I like, sometimes I'm like, no, I need it. And I'll convince myself that it's an investment to my personal self-esteem and it'll have a good ROI because I'll look good and I'll feel good and stuff like that. But I know it's not good. I'm getting better. (laughs) No, but honestly, we got to talk about that because there is something to be said about carrying yourself more confidently 
Because mm-hmm. you really do attract more opportunities. I've talked about this a little bit when, so on the Netflix show, one of the biggest lessons that I learned was how to be, how to put myself together and how to walk into a room and look like I had it all figured out physically, like to <laughs> what I wore, my hair, my makeup, because I did all of that for a year. I did it. I did my hair and makeup and p- pick my outfits. And now I will get more opportunities walking into these speakers training. I will look like I have it figured out. So it's almost like a personal brand externally. So it is something to think about when you're buying clothes. You're just, you are a little, you're investing in your brand. You're investing in how you show up in the world. And that could actually attract, I'm like fueling your bad habits here, but I'm just trying (laughs) to keep it real. No, a hundred percent. And I completely agree. And I think you just got to be real with yourself. Is this actually going to affect the way that I'm feeling internally or do I really just want it because it's cool and I'll throw it away? My blue suede moccasins, a well-known thing. I love to wear them to work. They make me feel good. I feel like I do a better job when I'm wearing them, Joe. I really do. Also, they're a brand piece, right? This is like a personality differentiator, which again is something that matters because when Megan, your boss, was telling me about you, she threw in the blue suede moccasins and immediately <laughs> I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be cool. So it's like <laughs> oh, sure. those were a great piece to have because now you're the blue suede moccasin guy. Totally. And I think it's something we can talk about. I mean, I could talk about it for hours is that aspect of social currency. I think we're getting off topic a little bit, but social currency is such a thing. You know what I mean? If I feel like you said, the shoes will make me stand out a little bit. It's good. It's splurges. We love that. Uh, Okay. So budgeting. So we asked the question now, do we have some definitive answers here about budgeting? Because I'm not a pro at budgeting unless you're talking about a business strategy. Then I got you. (laughs) I think my biggest takeaway for that is not changing the lifestyle when you do start coming into a little bit more money is one of the biggest things. I think I've seen people, you know, start to make more money than I'm making now, but can't save as well or aren't able to invest still because their lifestyle has changed so much. I'm not to say that your lifestyle shouldn't change. You're making more money, sure. But I think there's a balance there where you can still live the life that you're kind of wanting to live, but also saving up and doing the responsible things for your future, you know? You know, I one time I heard like, oh yeah, your happiness doesn't change after a certain amount of money. I've personally made exponentially amount of more money, which is crazy. I have all of my tax returns from when I was making $8,000 a year mm-hmm. till today, truly exponentially a lot more every year. And hopefully I keep that graph going upwards. My moral compass, the things that make me happy haven't changed I've taken a little bit more flights, but I'm not taking first class flights. Sure. I'm not I'm not staying in a thousand dollar a night Airbnbs. And it's because I have a saying, <laughs> you gotta act broke to stay rich. I don't advise it to everybody, <laughs> but it's what I tell myself. I just I'm happy in my my way of life. I'm happy going to the clearance section. I'm happy finding the free activity to do if I, you know, I'm tired of swiping my credit card. So yeah, I think that what you said is really key, that just because you're making more money doesn't necessarily mean you need to tack on more financial obligations because then you'll never give yourself a chance of saving. 100%. So what's the main takeaway here? How are we feeling about savings, that you're going to go and get a high-yield savings account? High-yield savings account is on the way. I need to start growing that APY, Joe. I really do. Get that APY high, baby. APR low. APY high. If if you want to live rich, you have to act broke. 
It might not be for everyone, <laughs> but that just hit hard yeah. for me, Joe. It really did. That hit hard for me. <laughs> I mean, people have differing opinions. That's just my little mantra. If I'm like, do I need the $50,000 thing? Not that I would ever buy myself that that something that expensive, but like, I don't need the $30,000 car if I can get a great one for 17000 Like, this is what I reason with myself. And then the rest of the money goes into my savings account so that one day if I need to buy a house in cash, I got it. Can do. Round two. Here we go. Start that count compounding. The earlier, the better. It's time to get into it. Let's get into it. So another beautiful episode. I'm so stoked for what we have coming up on the show. All right, y'all, that's it. Thank you so much for listening to Money Baggage, a podcast brought to you by Hightower to bring financial literacy to everyone listening. Don't forget to give us five stars wherever you're listening to your podcast. Um, Ask us as many questions as you want. Slide into Joe's DMs. The DMs are open at Joe underscore Franco to submit any of your anonymous questions. We're loving it. We're learning so much and I really enjoy talking about this because it's something that we need to be talking about so we can all unpack this money baggage and we'll see you next week for more see you there bye this podcast is a simulation and is for educational purposes only joe franco is presenting the information in this podcast in her capacity as a consultant to hightower holding llc and its affiliates and subsidiaries and not as an actual client of hightower advisors llc The material provided in this podcast is prepared and researched by its author and does not service as an endorsement or a reflection of the views of Hightower Holding LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower does not make any representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of the information contained herein. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FNIRA SIPC.